I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, quest. Hello, I'm Vic Cohen, and this is It's a Fair Question. This is the place where there is no question that's ever too personal or ever off limits. And welcome. It is so good to have you. I'm so excited you're here. And we have a really special show for you. We, I have a very special show for you and our guest. I came across this really uh, fantastic and, and quite incredible woman while I, I was reading the news online. It might have been um, the Huffington Post or something like that, a very common, well-read uh, news site. And her story popped up. And I looked at this story and I said, you know, I need to meet this woman. I need to bring her on the show and I need to get to know her myself. And I need you all to meet her as well. Her story is remarkable. She's a survivor. She is someone who's overcome so much, and she's here to share it with us today. I was almost about to say tonight, but some of you are listening during the day. She is a survivor of sex trafficking. She, at the age of 25, which is a little older to be recruited into that world, was recruited, brought in, had no idea that's what was happening. Most people who are brought into sex trafficking in the United States are between the ages of 12 and 14. A few statistics before I introduce you to our guest. Every year in America, there are 100,000 children who are victims of sex trafficking. And there's an organization called EPCAT USA, stands for End Child Prostitute Child Pornography and Trafficking of Children for Sexual Purposes. That's an organization that studies this problem in America. And they say that 50% of sex trafficked victims in the United States are boys. I have no idea. I want you to introduce you right now to Jennifer Kempton. She is live with us all the way from Columbus, Ohio. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. I am so excited to have you. I'm so excited for all of you watching and listening to meet Jennifer. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time. You know, we are doing the show late in the evening and I know you have a newborn or a young baby. Is that right? About eight months? Yeah. So this is a far cry from where your life was not too long ago. Very far. Yes. Tell us about that. What was happening about, you were 25, I believe, when you were recruited into the world of sex trafficking. Is that correct? Yes. Um, How did that would, come about? I would say it actually came about, um, the circumstances leading up to that started at a very young age. Um, I was raped at the age of 12 of my virginity. And so I kind of left a void in my life. And so I tried filling that void with... Um, you know, in the arms of older men and who raped recreational drugs. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was wondering who raped you. This is one of the challenges of having uh, a Skype interview as we've lost our connection. And we will get back to Jennifer in just a moment. Uh, there's an organization called the Polaris Project that is a nonprofit anti-trafficking organization in Washington, D.C. And they report that a pimp... Uh, who had three young women and girls in his, they call them stables, it's terrible, were each bringing in $500 every day. So the pimp was making about $24,000 a month or about $642,000 a year. That's tax-free money by selling sex with girls and young women that he controlled and he was keeping the money. And that was a while ago too. That was uh, about 10 years ago. So imagine what the numbers are today. Worldwide today, sex trafficking is a $150 billion business. And in Atlanta, a study was done. Illegal sex industry brings in nearly $220 million. Again, that's just in Atlanta. So we are, there she is. She's back with us. Hey, Jennifer. I think we have a storm coming in because my Wi-Fi is just going in and out and okay. I'm not even moving. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. Uh, you, you were telling me that at 12, you were raped. And I'm just yes. wondering what happened, what was going on with that? How did this come about? 
Um, well, I grew up in abuse and dysfunction in my family. And so um, we had moved from one small rural area to another. And, you know, I really was trying to get in with the popular crowd and um, went to stay with, um, you know, the popular girl, the cheerleader. She asked me to come spend the night. And so I thought that was my in, you know. And so I went to spend the night with her, not knowing that her 18-year-old brother was molesting her. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason I was invited over was to kind of take her place for the evening. Um, okay. So, yeah, I kind of... Uh, being broken at that age, especially losing something as precious as your virginity, um, it scars you. You didn't tell anyone? Well, I, she, I was threatened by the boy and his friends um, not to say anything. And um, in hopes that it would stop what was happening to her, she told the guidance counselor at school what happened to me without mm-hmm. telling on him for what she was was happening to her. And um, when the detectives came to the house, since I had been threatened, you know, as a 12 year old child, um, I said it was consensual Um, because we were in a small rural podunk town. In Ohio. (laughs) In Ohio, yes. Actually in West Jefferson, Ohio. And um, because we were in a rural town, like they really just kind of swept it under the rug. There shouldn't have been any question with a 12 year old and an 18 year old consensual. That's right. Consensual. As you said, I mean, there's exactly. not even a question. Now, what about your uh, childhood prior to that? Do you have parents who are loving and supportive and nurturing? No, I grew up in dysfunction and um, abuse. My biological father was um, an abusive alcoholic um, it was really bad, that situation. And so I grew up in, in craziness, <laughs> okay. essentially. So where did you meet the person who recruited you as a sex worker um, or slave? We, what do you like? I mean, not like, but what is the correct way of putting it? I mean, you could have called me a sex worker, but that makes it sound like that's a chosen profession. That's right. <laughs> and, and I don't and like it, that. Yeah, and it wasn't chosen at all. I never, you know, woke up one day and said, oh, I want to be a whore or a prostitute, you know? So, um, yeah, slave is definitely the better term for that. Um, I'd had a couple domestic violent relationships, um, getting tied in with the wrong man, just trying to fill the void of wanting to be loved and accepted and the brokenness that had been caused in my childhood and and losing my virginity in that fashion. And um, I finally, at the age of 25, found this guy who was different than those other two men that had abused me and um, caused me so much chaos in my life. Um, He was so sweet and charming and he wanted to take care of me and he um, wasn't physically intimidating um, like the other two guys I had been with. He was totally different. This little um, shaggy haired um, guy that grew up in Laurelville, Ohio, which is even more podunk than where I was from, you know, just a country guy. And, you know, he seemed to have it together and he just was so good to me. I really thought what I does hit that the mean? What does that mean good to you? He would give you money? Would he take you out to dinner? Would he, uh, what, what does that mean exactly? What's good to you? I mean, well, yes, there was some financial incentive in that relationship. You know, he would provide whatever I needed. Um, I was struggling to take care of the child I had with me at the time. Uh, my child was the second abusive man. Um, so he did help me in that regard financially when I needed it. But it was more um, it, the support that he gave me that was the most addictive and the most um, enslaving was the emotional voids that I had that he filled, the I love yous, the cuddles, the I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to, you know, treat you like a, the queen that you are. And, you know, the emotional things that he gave me outweighed any kind of financial help that he ever provided for me. And how did you meet him? Um, you know, I actually um, met him because the the boyfriend before him was a drug dealer. Um, and so I met him, he was a client, uh, a buyer from my baby's father. And so how much older was, was this guy than you, the, uh, the, the new boyfriend, the man who essentially took you as a slave? He was only one year older than me. And how soon after you guys met and became, let's say a couple, did you notice that there was a huge turn and 
how did that turn come about where you realized, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. What happened? So the relationship kind of went in three month increments. We dated for three months. He moved me and my child into his home after that three months. Um, everything was good. Three months later, he um, pulls out a needle and um, pretty much makes me choose from my prior addiction, which was cocaine, um, into using IV drugs. And I felt that I needed to make that choice in order to keep him because it was essentially him I was addicted to and the love that he, the false love that he was giving me that I clung to. So he gave um, you an option of either doing cocaine or heroin. But you must do either, according to him. One of the two. Well, uh, yeah, I was a cocaine addict before when I got with him. Okay. And then, you know, several months into the relationship, he's like, um, you know, this is what I do on the side. And I had never known anything about that. Um, however, he literally did inject me for the first time and then gave me an ultimatum that I can't afford to buy us both. So you have to choose. And so I chose the IV drugs, thinking that if I chose his drug of choice, I could keep him longer. Okay. You know? Not knowing that there was another part of this. Right. I didn't okay. know anything about IV drug use. I didn't know the consequences. Or also the sex part of this, correct? Because that hadn't started yet. It hadn't started. No, he got me addicted. And, and then three months later um, came to me and he's like, you know, I've taken care of you and your child all this time. I've, I've always been there for you. I love you so much. I want to be there for you. But I'm losing the house, you know, because um, addictions grow. And I need you to step up and take care of us. It's, you know, it's time for you to step up. And um, was that, a, Do you think that was his plan all along to get you addicted to drugs and then to turn it around into uh, a sex business for him? Yeah. It wasn't I mean, just happenstance? Circumstances. I, mean, I, I guess it always could be, but but no, um, I think he absolutely had misintentions when he even started. He was just very aggressively pursuing me. You know, I had just gotten out of the relationship with with the drug dealing guy and was trying to get my life back together and, and take care of my kid. And I really wasn't looking for a relationship, but he was so progressive towards me. You know. Um, just trying to come in and be my friend and offer me all this love and support. Um, and do you so think it was, was an act? Do you think oh, it, yeah. was an, it was an act? Do you believe a, minute, a way to manipulate you into uh, kind of luring you into a false sense of, of uh, intimacy that would then later uh, reward him through sex work? Absolutely. Slavery? Yeah, absolutely. So when, what was that right turn, that hard turn where suddenly he introduces the sex part of this? Because that must have been just mind-blowing. Uh, it was. You know, when he came at me and, and not only said, you know, I love you, I want to be with you, I have taken care of you. That was the biggest piece. You know, I've taken care of you and your child all this time. And it made me feel like I owed him. Um, and then his idea of me providing for us was, it started at dancing in the strip clubs. And um, I knew then it was going downhill, so I sent my child to live with my family. Hold on that one sec. Just one quick one second. So he, what, did he have contacts in a sec at a strip club or something? And he just get, found this job for you? Is that how that came about? Like he, he actually, are you there? I think we lost her. She will be calling us right back. It's an interesting place to uh, put a little bookmark this is this is uh, what you read about and um, hear about. You know, if you were to do your own research, it's just remarkable to hear the story coming out of Jennifer's mouth. And you know, this is the first time I've really met Jennifer. I've only spoken to her once on the phone, and it was very brief our conversation. And I can tell you that just from the little time that I've had with her, and um, you've had with her, I think you would agree with me that she's intelligent articulate, and, you know, basically uh, someone who was sick. Hi there. You're back Hi. with us. I was just <laughs> saying that, you know, you're very articulate and intelligent. And, you know, so this idea that, uh, you know, perhaps people who get lured into this aren't necessarily intelligent or, um, you know, are somehow not street smart or bright, I just don't buy that. You know, you're really, you know, your story is... It's very, uh, it's very revealing and very helpful. So you're, you're working at a strip club. Was this something that he had set up? 
your 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 strip. Okay, she's gone again. All right, we'll try one more time. We might have to go just to a phone interview. We'll try her one more time. Uh, she did mention that there's some really bad weather in Ohio, which could be creating a problem with our connection. Some of the things I do want to cover with her is I want to find out, uh, again, how it went from a strip club to becoming a quote-unquote slave. If you want to find out more about Jennifer Kempton and uh, her organization, I didn't mention to you that she's actually started an organization uh, called Survivors, Inc., Survivors, I-N-K, dot org. And we're going to see in a moment and learn more about that. Uh, but for here, she's back with us. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. Okay, so every time I ask this question, maybe it's the question that's causing our connection to, to go away. Getting into the strip club, was that something your boyfriend arranged? Absolutely. So he knew the people at the strip club? Uh, I wouldn't say he knew them personally, but he knew the ins and outs of how to get in and get okay. started working. Were you giving him all the money you made at the strip club? Well, yeah. At that point, uh, did you think you were a slave? I didn't. You know, I just thought I was doing my part and, you know, taking care of us for a little while. And it hadn't progressed to the actual sexual part of it. I mean, I know I was being exploited sexually, but I wasn't um, physically engaging in sex acts. So I didn't feel, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know that it was um, leading where it was, was going. And then how, did, how long were you stripping before you started getting into actual sex with strangers? So several months, again, the grooming process in that, in that relationship was several months long. Like, so the three months like of dancing, um, I wasn't meeting his quota that he, he wanted. What was his quota? Um, it depends at least two, two twenty five a night. Um, it's a lot of money. Not really. Not really. Or anywhere. How many hours of work is that? I mean, that's eight to 10 hours at the club. And in what, you, what would you keep of that money? I mean, he would give me enough of, he would feed my addiction just enough to keep me going. Um, other than, and he would, you know, I would have a bed to lay in at night with him. Was he at the club monitoring you? No, actually, um, that's part of the money that I made was to go to take care of whatever he wanted to do during the day while I was at work for that eight to 10 hours. You know, okay. if he wanted to go hang out with his buddies or do this or do that. He needs some spending money. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then when did things really take a turn? Three months into the dancing, he approached me with another female. Um, this female had a townhome. She um, had her stuff together. She had a habit, but she had everything that she needed in life. And She had a habit? What do you mean, a drug habit? Yeah. She was an addict? Yes, Okay. Yes, she was an addict, but she still was going shopping and she had a car and a townhome and she was so, she was doing something right, essentially, is how it was. Like a big sister? Kind of like a big sister to you in the sense of a role model? Mm, Or this is where your life could go? I really didn't know her at all when they both approached me together. Okay. And what did they approach you about or what was their goal? Um, essentially, it was a glamorization of a job, which is how a lot of people get lured into trafficking. Um, glamorizing, um, placing massage ads on Craigslist. You know, it's just massage, and instead of making, you know, maybe 200 bucks a night at the club in eight to 10 hours in stilettos, you can make, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars in an hour just doing a simple massage in this way. What was your background in massage? <laughs> to be really a professional any, but, masseuse. Yeah, you know, but but you didn't need to have that in this world, so. Right, so you ended up doing that, agreeing to it? I did. Um, I moved into her house. We, we moved into her house, so we were no longer staying at hotels and things. Um, she moved us in and um, took You're care living of in her room. townhouse? Yeah. Both of you? Both of you, your boyfriend at the yes. time? Yes. Was she? Was he sleeping with her? Um, at the time, I don't think so. But at some point, it, it did start happening, I believe. So now m- many people, and I, I, this is what I'm thinking is, hey, Jennifer, get out. Why would you want to do sexual massage with strange men, you know, or any men that you don't know? And 
the answer is that you were so brainwashed by this guy and so drug addicted that you didn't see a way out? Is that fair to say? Or what would your answer be? I would say yes, that's fair to say. Also, um, you know, he had isolated me from my family and being addicted, you know, there's a lack of resources available for people in that situation. And so um, I really didn't have any other place to go. And you had one um, child with your parents already. They're, they're, hanging, they're taking care of your child. Yes. I had two children at that point in my life. The first one, my ex-husband took to another state. Um, So the child I did have was living with family and I had been isolated from that family. Um, You know, he just, he wouldn't let me talk to anybody. He wouldn't let me do anything. Everything that I did had to revolve around him, Mm. um, which not only fed my addiction to him, but then he's feeding my addiction to the opiates and Mm -hmm. heroin. So, um, you know, the addiction grew. So yeah, it had a, the addiction had a grasp on me, but even if I wanted to get out, I mean, there was nowhere to go. So you start doing massage through Craigslist ads and what happened? Did that turn into just full-blown sex, you know, under the guise of massage? Um, you know, it was, the intentions were for sex. I was unaware of that at the point that I agreed to do it and um, kind of got involved in some debt bondage with her and him. Um, her moving a, us into her home, you know, we had to, we owed her room and board and we had to You're pay calling her. Debt bondage. I've never heard that term, but it's kind of self-explanatory, right? You felt in bondage to them because you owed them for giving you a place to live and the drugs they were giving you. Absolutely. It's a very common term in my world because a lot of the runaways we see that get pulled into trafficking, you know, they're 13 years old, maybe running away from abuse at home or just think they know it all and can take care of themselves. And here comes an older girl or a man um, and they bring them in and take care of them and provide for them and use that as leverage what they give to them as leverage to exploit them later. How many how many clients were you seeing a day? when you were uh, answering Craigslist ads? Um, You know, it varied several a day, three to five probably. And the average cost per uh, client? Um, One to $300. Okay. So what's the most you made in a day? I mean, I've made $5,000 in a day. And were these turning into full-blown sex? Uh, situations? Yeah, they they got me tied in with debt bondage. And then on the way to the first client, I was informed that, you know, you have to do whatever you have to do to get my money. And, um, you know, I know I had him waiting back there and neither one of us would have a place to go if I didn't go in and get her money. Um, And so I really just had to swallow my own vomit and turn the first trick. And by then I was just so ridden with guilt and shame and um, disgust at what has happened to me that I just was stuck. The uh, the first time you did that, did the client that this? I'm assuming it was a man, right? Yeah. Uh, did he just assume that this you were coming there to give him sex? I mean, there was like as if it were just, of course, that's why you're here. Well, yeah, he did, and um, you know, he even called me out that like you're not used to doing this, are you? And um, she had given me a prep. Is like right before I walked in the door, but you know, it was obvious that that's not what I was used to doing. And so he knew it and he knew the process obviously well enough that, um, you know, he got what he needed out of it. So, so that you said shame, uh, is that how you felt during the entire time you were with this guy or afterwards? Is it, was it just any more, sh- did, did it increase the shame in an incredible amount of beyond what you'd experienced up to that point? Absolutely. The latter of those two increased it so dramatically that, you know, this is what my life has resorted to that I was just really, I fell harder into my addiction and um, I felt more and more trapped and I had to keep handing over all this money. And, you know, um, if I didn't, he would pull away from me emotionally or she would threaten to put it lost our connection again it looks like um <laughs> it's interesting when we we lose our connection because it's always an interesting place 
I can I can't imagine, you know, I have been on Craigslist and I'm not trying to in any way I'm not gonna get specific, but there are where she's talking about where I, I I'm guessing she posted ads, they're very easy to find. And it's very disturbing, although it's not surprising that she was enslaved and posting in a place that's so easy for anyone to find. And and that's disturbing because uh, when you're online, it's easier to, it's easy to find these places. It's much easier than just walking around uh, the corner. So uh, we're really getting to see what you classically read about as she's described the, the grooming and the, the reliance where someone like herself at that time in her life felt she had no choice but to, to do what she had to do. Did you talk to Jennifer, you're back. Uh, did you talk to any friends? I mean, were you able to at least have communication with, I know you said your family you were isolated from. How about friends? No, I, I was completely isolated. What did you call this guy? Did you call him, uh, did you have a name for him? His name is Salem. And so that's, you know, what I called him. I mean, like, okay, because now did he have a stable? I've heard this term stable. Did he have like a bunch of women or were you? Yeah. No, no, I I was his girl. And I was, so therefore I was responsible as an upkeep of both of us. Um, stable is a very common term for traffickers that have multiple girls um, did working you, for them. Did you see a lot of the other women out there and, and minors uh, or were you isolated? From that. I was really isolated in that situation until he wasn't giving her enough of the money I was making and she put us out and I ended up on the west side of Columbus and then I was turning tricks by jumping in and out of cars. And so that changed the dynamic of things. I wasn't as isolated. I was out on the street, um, of course, more enslaved to him and the drugs. Um, and so, yes, in that situation, um, I did start to see the other girls and I have seen minors, you know, as young as, you know, 14, 15 years old. And some of the girls that were out there had been out there since they were 12 and 13 years old. It was, it was pretty crazy. Now, how soon after you first did your first uh, sex work, were you out on the street? How long were you with this woman? You and your, uh, I don't know what what would you call him? Your what? He I thought he was my boyfriend. What do you I call really, him now? I was really under the false illusion that this man truly loved me and I just had to do what I had to do to take care of us. And eventually he was gonna get his subcontracting business back up and going and things were gonna get better and he was gonna take care of us again and I'd have my daughter back and we'd be a family. I was really truly under those false illusions and the false sense of hope that things were gonna get better. What's the term you use for him? He's not a master. What do you like? I mean, I'm trying to figure out what the language is for that. When someone he's a trafficker, he's a trafficker. Okay, they so they call him um, people that manipulate women into trafficking um, in that manner by charming them and the boyfriend like role. Um, they're called a lover boy or a Romeo pimp. Okay, I did not know that a Romeo pimp or a lover boy pimp. Yes. Okay. So you end up on the street, and I'm imagining that as much as it was probably even more upsetting, uh, because now you're not even inside a, a warm place, or you know it's very dangerous. There's people that just literally are driving right up. Uh, at least you're getting out, and you're you're in public. As far as your your, didn't you get a different perspective on things? Well, yeah, but it drew me deeper into the shame because of how society looked at me. You know, I was out there because I just wanted to feed my habit. I'm just a whore and I wanted to be out there. Um, so there was no compassion. There was no grace um, out there on the street. Weren't you scared? Yeah, but I was more uh, more afraid of losing him than I was of getting in a car with a stranger. I know it may sound sick, but that, you know, love, when you're broken at a young age and you uh, think you have love, you know, you can cling on to it. Love is blind sometimes. And I was very blind. Now, <laughs> just obviously by the mere fact you were getting in cars with men you didn't know, the natural danger factor there, 
What was the most dangerous actual event that occurred with you? Uh, where did you ever have a knife pulled on you? Were you ever uh, almost killed? I mean, did anyone attack you on this um, job? You this know, being raped uh, was was a regular occurrence. It's like part of the job almost. Uh, it's sad to say, but it is. Um, I've been kicked out of moving cars. I've had guns to the back of my head, cocked to the back of my head while I was forced to perform, um, gang banged. I've been kidnapped by fellow traffickers and held hostage for a week and a half. Um, I have, um, the worst thing that happened to me though was after he was done with me, he sold me to a very violent gang. And, um, I ended up, uh, went under the control of them, um, got raped at knife point in a abandoned house for over two hours while sodomized and actually raped with the butcher knife. I can't even, uh, with, a, how do you, well, I, it, it, it sounds horrible. I mean, that, that is about as grim as I could even imagine. I couldn't even, I couldn't even think of, the, uh, of something so horrific. Uh, you, you told me, and I'm sorry you had to go through that, obviously. I mean, it's just horrific, uh, but you know, and I have to, again, t- if I haven't already, uh, I just want to thank you so much for being so open um, about this experience because, you know, this is in America. That's what's so shocking. When I hear sex trafficking and sex slave, I think of either another era or a part of the world that we don't live in. And you're talking about Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio is, for those of you who don't know, it's, it's kind of considered all-American considered uh, the typical America as far as a lot of businesses used to use, and I don't know if they still do use Columbus. Ohio is a marketing center as a way to check out new products and see what America thinks. Yeah, right? and ironically enough, um, Ohio is ranked top fifth in the nation um, of the most human trafficking happening. What is the difference between uh, being trafficked, human trafficking and sex trafficking? Is there a difference or are they just Two different ways of saying the same uh, thing. Sex trafficking is a category of human trafficking. So in human trafficking, you have three different arenas of trafficking, which is labor trafficking, sex trafficking, and organ trafficking. Uh, Okay. All of which is happening here in America. Now, it's unbelievable. Now, you said that you're, you you kind of said it in in passing. You said when he was done with you or uh, uh, something to that effect, your, your boyfriend. Now, how did that come about? Did, did he ha- have a sit-down conversation with you or just... And also you said you were sold as if you were like a piece of cattle or livestock. How were you sold and, and wh- how much were you sold for if that's what goes on? I mean, it's... I hate to ask, but I'm, yeah, I'm curious. I don't know exactly how much he got for me. Um, I know um, that there was a formal transaction involved. Um, but what happened, um, I actually delivered his child while I was on the street, um, literally delivered the child myself on the floor of a stranger's house. And um, after I got a so you wait a minute. Hold on one sec. Sorry. I just want to clear, clarify something. So your, uh, this pimp got you pregnant. Yes. And you were still on the street uh, hustling for him on his behalf, having sex while pregnant. Yes. Up to the time you gave birth? Yes. So you were nine months pregnant on a street? Uh, no, because I was still doing drugs. But I tried to get clean while I was pregnant for the sake of the pregnancy. And, um, you know, again, a lack of resources. And I had to um, not, I had to still turn turn tricks and do dates for his habit. Um, and also to get to the methadone clinic to take care of myself. Um, so it was kind of counterproductive. It really didn't last very long. And I ended up back on the drugs. Um, because the, I couldn't. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's because you couldn't get You couldn't get off, right? I mean, you were addicted. I couldn't get off of them no matter. Yeah. I was really stuck. Did you have a boy or girl? I ended up having a little girl. Um, Healthy? No. Highly addicted. Put in the NIC unit. We both almost died. I was put in a medically induced coma. She was taken to the NIC unit. Um, What's and the, the what be, unit? The NIC. What is that? Um, the neonatal intensive care unit. Okay, so it's intensive care for a newborn. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and is that is she okay today? She was put up for adoption, and yes, she is. She's doing well today. Okay, thank God. And yeah. and you you recovered, right? I mean, you, you haven't had any. Uh, anything happened to you since then as far as you've healed from that experience 
at least physically, not emotionally, I'm sure. Physically, I'll probably never emotionally heal from everything I've been through. Um, but yeah, physically, I'm good. Thank God. So you, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, where was your, where were your parents in this? I mean, you're living in a small town, right? I mean, you're- I was. So, I moved to Columbus, so- Okay, but how far was that from where your parents were living? Not far, like 20 minutes. Like what, how do your parents not have your number or come swing by and go, hey, what's happening? We haven't heard from you, Jennifer. Well, first of all, I didn't have a number at that point in my life. And- um, Or why don't they like report you as missing or, you know what I mean? Like, do you ever think about that? You know- um, Now, you know, now that you're sober and everything? You know, they knew I, I had a thing with drugs before I even got with him. So they figured, you know- um, that I was choosing to go with him and be an addict. And so they really just kind of wrote me off, I guess, as a lost cause. Kind of like tough love for a little in a while. Way. I'm sorry? Kind of like tough love, you know, like... I, could be, did yeah. they Did they ever say to you, hey, Jennifer, you know, if you don't get better, um, we're not going to talk to you anymore. Like, you need to go to rehab or do they give you, were there interventions or anything like that? No, I mean, and like I said, um, you know, towards the beginning, he had isolated me from them anyways. So um, I, I was isolated from them. And then as it progressed, I was even more isolated. And so therefore they just really thought I was just a lost cause. So there was really no effort to search for me. There was really no effort to try to reach out to me. Um, and, and even if they had, I was so enslaved to him and addicted to him that it, it would really wouldn't have mattered what they did. Probably. Explain. I probably wouldn't have chose to leave. Explain to me and, and all of uh, my, my friends listening and watching what it means to be love addicted. It's needing that love so much that you will go to any means necessary to get it. Um, and I've found that a lot of the survivors that I work with who have fallen into this love addiction and pulled into this life in that manner, um, that they've had abuse in their childhood similar to me, and they've had um, molestations and rapes and sexual assaults at very young ages, and it leaves them broken and with a void. And so when you have a void like that and you just want somebody to love you and accept you and, and be there for you, it's very easy to become love addicted and just crave it and and when somebody gives you the least bit you just cling on to it are you a love addict today would you say i mean uh if we you know i believe with addiction that whoever whatever one is addicted to they kind of have if they're a true addict it's something they need to, to work on and and deal with throughout life i'm just curious do you are you healthier in this area today where it's more manageable I am very love addicted, actually, um, not just to my children, but I'm... Have you fallen in love with me? <laughs> <laughs> How long have we been talking? <laughs> my first and foremost love is God and, and Jesus Christ. Well, that's um, a great place to start because you'll never... I don't believe you can get hurt. You might get disappointed, but, uh, you know, at times, but... You know, my first cover-up, um, that's what empowered me to even start my organization was taking Salem's name, this false sense of love and whatever. Where is Salem, getting, by the way? Sorry, I just... You we, know what? I know where he lives. Oh, but, he's still, he's um, not in I prison have, or jail or anything like that. He's about, he's running around town still. He is. You know, okay. it's really hard to get a jury of 12 to convict somebody on trafficking when they don't believe it exists in their neighborhood. Um, so they, it, it's hard to can get somebody convicted of trafficking, especially when there's not multiple um, victims. Some states even, like I've worked with Homeland Security in West Virginia, and even they're trying to get a bill passed because right now in West Virginia, if there's not more than two victims, they will not try them for human trafficking. Wow. Um, okay. Like, and victim's life isn't enough. It's ridiculous. So but. now you were going to, I apologize for interrupting though. Um, I did want to hear what you're going to say. You, Your organization is, and this is something I was unaware of, a lot of uh, unfortunate people who get sucked in and, and blindsided by uh, these kind of people like you did uh, end up, uh, part of it is, which is shocking, you get branded, literally, not just metaphorically, you literally get a tattoo as if you are 
a piece of livestock owned. And how many of these tattoos did you have from your experience? I was branded six times. I mean, that's just shocking. I can yeah. hear all of you at home like your jaws dropping because that is, uh, that's just, uh, and uh, I can't even imagine. So t- but I, I do, for the sake of understanding this, we, I think we all want to know what are the tattoos and where are they? Well, um, as I was saying, the first one I got covered up was um, Salem's name on my arm. And I'll move the camera just for a second. But um, I covered it with 1 Corinthians 13 and a cross, which that's the book of love in the Bible. And so um, I chose to to cover up the, the fake love with the ultimate true love of God. And so that really empowered me um, to move forward. And um, in that feeling of empowerment and freedom, I was talking to my human trafficking advocate and um, I showed her that I had a property of Salem above my vagina. And um, she was shocked. She was like, yeah, that's, we got to do something about that. We got to cover that up. Um, And so somebody actually put up a couple hundred dollars, $200 exactly to get the property of Salem that was, um, that he put above my vagina after the other trafficker kidnapped me after I got back from that. He thought he was losing me. So he branded me above my vagina, uh, just as a reminder of whose property I was. Um, but when she seen that and said it had to go, I found this tattoo artist and, you know, I didn't spend six years on the street and I have a little bit of hustle in me. (laughs) So, um, you know, I talked to the tattoo artist and I'm like, look, this is what this would mean to me if you can cover up these three dominant brands. Well, you had the I one have. on your arm. You said you had the one above your vagina. Where was the other, the third one? So, um, okay, the the three that he covered up is, I have one on my neck right here. Okay. That was a gang insignia, the, the violent gang that I was sold to. Um, I had to show my loyalty to them. Um, and then I had one on my back that was a heart-shaped tattoo that had his name in the banner. Um, Whose Salem, name? The, uh... Salem. Okay. Now, are we, are we in danger saying his name? I mean, is he a violent guy where he's got, I mean, obviously you know, he's... I don't even care. No, I'm thinking care. about me. <laughs> 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 Although you're in Ohio, so you're... You know, because you know, you're not he scared of me out by now if he was that violent, because I've been saying his name for a couple of years. So okay. um, he's so drug publicly. addicted now. You've publicly. Yeah, mentioned. Okay. absolutely. Okay. He's so drug addicted now. And, and I roll with the big guy upstairs. So I'm really not scared. I can't live in fear. If I live in fear of him or the gang that um, branded me and that I escaped from, then they're still controlling my life. And I refuse to let that continue to happen. So, um, yeah, I'm not. Did you graduate care. high school? I did go get my GED and I have done some college courses. Um, but um, my my organization really needs my full-time support right now. The, we're in a massive growth uh, season. So I will go back to be a trauma counselor at some point. But yeah, I got a GED. So is that the ultimate goal that you'd like to be a trauma counselor? I would. Well, I think you'd be amazing. Thank you. Really, you. you know, because, yeah, you know, we, as I was saying earlier, you're, uh, during one of our uh, times where we lost your connection, uh, we had a brief conversation and I was telling you that I, what I really, I mean, there's so much I admire about you. And one of them is, I really believe this idea, this saying that we're as sick as our secrets. And I don't believe you've used the word shame many times and I get it and I understand how that played a part in your life. However, what you've shared so far today, and I'm, there's nothing that you can share that would in any way, in my mind, uh, make me think shameful thoughts about you. I, just the opposite. I think you are an incredibly brave woman. And it's sad you know, that we live in a world, obviously, that someone like yourself, looking just to be loved, could be so abused. Yeah. I mean, it's and only been... Huh? Sorry. Yeah, and unfortunately, um, you know, this isn't just a one in a million case. I'm not just one in a million. I'm actually one in four um, women who have been abused in their life kind of fall into this um, sexual assault and, and being um, exploited and stuff. Um, 
Now, I, I do want to ask you about the gang. You mentioned that a gang, uh, you were sold. So I mm -hmm. guess some money was exchanged. Is that right? I, yeah, I, would think of some, I, I don't or know something the exact, was, Okay. I don't know the exact amount that was exchanged, but something. yes. Yeah. And, money and drugs. Pardon me? Money and drugs. Okay. And then how long were you with this gang before you finally were able to get the help that's led you here today? Uh, I would say around a year. I mean, yeah, about a year. What do you think the likelihood is that someone watching knows someone who is connected to sex trafficking? Either they've participated without knowing it. In other words, they've hired a prostitute or mm -hmm. gone to a massage place, let's say perhaps here in Los Angeles. They're littered everywhere. Yep. Or maybe they have a neighbor who they would have no idea got lured into this world. What do you think the odds are of that? Very high odds. First of all, one in seven men is a buyer of sex. Um, and I just want to clarify because a lot of people have a lot of um, misconstrued thoughts when it comes to um, prostitutes and um, sex slaves. Um, you know, 88% of people that are sex workers, right, mm -hmm. technically fall into the category of being a victim of human trafficking. They fall under the federal guidelines of what that means um, to be brought into prostitution through forced fraud or coercion. 88%. So what's the likelihood that the prostitute, you know, one of your viewers may have bought was that one in 12% or the one of those 12%. And for me personally, you can break that 12% down a little more too. Um, if 12% if you know, choose to be prostitutes, first of all, what is wrong that they feel that their worth is in their body and what is you know, wrong with them internally to make them think that that's okay? And how many of them have not yet realized that they have um, been forced fraud or coerced into this life. You know, when I was out there, I never would have said I'm a victim of human trafficking because saying that it was not my choice would have took that last little piece of me that was left. Um, so saying, yeah, I'm a victim would have took anything I had left out of me and I would have been nothing. So I held on to that, you know, belief that, you know, okay, this is my poor choices and da 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 that put me here. So this is, you know, just what I get. I, I couldn't look at it fully until I stepped back and looked at the process of how I got pulled in that I realized like, holy crap, I'm a victim of human trafficking. So how many of that 12% have just not hit that realization point yet where, oh my gosh, yeah, this happened to me at a young age and this is how I got pulled in. I, I am a victim of human trafficking. So that 12% is a real gray line to me. I, I don't believe that anybody in their right mind wakes up and makes a reasonable, educated decision to um, exchange the most precious thing they have for financial gain. What I about mean, this? Um, what about this saying like, oh, you know, prostitution, it's the oldest profession in the world or... Uh, negative. Uh, that is the oldest oppression in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about those who say, for example, uh, like, what do you think of pornography? Pornography is a is a portal. It's a gateway. Um, there's a lot of trafficking that happens into um, the pornography industry. And also pornography feeds sex trafficking. It fuels it because, you know, our, our young boys and our, our men and our women even are being desensitized. Um, to the preciousness of what intimacy is. and What is you know, intimacy to you? What have you learned? Um, my intimacy is in my relationship with God. It's not physical. What about um, the human in, being? It's in communication. It's in relationships. It's not physical with me. Okay. So uh, what about with the human? I get the God connection and, and that kind of intimate relationship. But what, are you in a relationship now? Are you seeing someone? <laughs> I'm not laughing at my question. I'm laughing at the fact that we, uh, I'm laughing that we blocked, uh, we, we kind of lost her right at that moment as if she were not wanting to answer the question, which is not the case. It's just a very uh, funny timing uh, situation. Uh, it, it's amazing how together Jennifer is. Jeremy, you there? 
Uh, Jeremy's, yeah. uh, you know, he runs the joint here. Uh, isn't this just fascinating? I mean, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and and she's being so open about everything, and and I think that's just great because uh, people that uh, uh, share the 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 details of this thing allow others who who may not even realize that they're in a, a situation to to have have an epiphany like what's going on in my life, you know. And I, I think that's really important. Well, it's also interesting. Hey, Jennifer, you know, it's so fascinating. You didn't know you were being a victim of, of sex trafficking until kind of probably when you uh, were getting help. Like, that's remarkable because you were so into the brainwashing that had been going on. It's yeah. Really, it's really interesting. You know, we have about 10 minutes or so, and I just want to, um, I, I want to, it's real important that whatever message you have, I want you to have a moment, at least a moment, more than a moment, to share it. Share your message. If people leave the show with one thing or two or three things that you feel is just so important from your experience that they need to know, will you tell all of my friends watching, all of you there? Let's hear it. Jennifer, talk to them. So the girls that are out there, you know, work in the streets or even the massage parlors, um, you know, what is emotionally incorrect in their life or what happened to them to break them into thinking that this is something that they can do to to support themselves? I mean, this is not a chosen profession unless there's something wrong in the makeup of your And I think we, we lost a connection again. I, I see where she was going with that. You back with me, Jeremy? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it's a scary uh, a thing because here in, in Los Angeles, I'd mentioned earlier, you go to the Craigslist. Uh, I'm not going to get specific, but, you know, you go to that site and it's not hard to find, right? Right. Uh, you don't have to be, uh, you know, uh, a gifted person to <laughs> online to figure it out uh, where to go. And also, boy, have you noticed all the massage parlors we have in Los Angeles, Jeremy? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to name the streets because I don't want to promote it. I will say this. Um, I jokingly say I've never lived in a city where people have such bad backs. You know, there must be some serious heavy lifting going on here. Right. And the problem is it's very hard to enforce the laws because from my understanding when talking with some of law enforcement, they need to catch these people in the act. And uh, they're very smart as far as... These people are are cunning in how they avoid law enforcement. I was just saying, Jennifer, uh, before we when we got to cut out, I just cut off. I just wanted though to pick up where we left off. Are you in a relationship right now? Are you with someone? I am. And yeah. How, okay. And you are you reluctant to talk about it? You look hesitant. Um, it's just it's a hard process, you know, learning how to um, trust and be open. Um, it's more within me than anything because it's actually a very healthy relationship. It's actually my reservations and my cautiousness um, leading into progressing further in the relationship, whether we have a child or not. Um, now, do you have, yes. you've had three children, right? Or two? I've actually had four. You've had four. And mm -hmm. were all of them had while you were in your addiction? No, this last one was not. Okay, so that fourth child, is that with who you're dating now? Yes. Okay, and uh, is he an addict? No, never been. And, um, okay, how did you, know, you okay. So OSU graduate. Um, Ohio State? A, yeah, and a chemistry degree and great person, you know, never experienced anything like that. Is this the only child that you're raising? Um, yes, but I do have my daughter that I sent to live with my family. Um, she comes and stays the night with me on the weekends um, here and there, and we talk all the time, and she'll be coming to spend the summer with me when she gets out of school. So, How do you support yourself financially? Um, you know, I, I try to get bookings, paid speaking engagements and stuff like that um, because my ministry – uh, or my organization, um, we don't have, we're a small grassroots nonprofit. So um, we rely on the community to, for our donations. So that don't pay real good, <laughs> but- um, Where are you living now? Do you have your own place? I live with him actually, the, the father of my child. Okay. Now the organization again is Survivors Inc, I-N-K dot org, correct? 
Yes. And anyone, all of you watching and listening, if you want to contact Jennifer, there's a way to do it. I did it. That's how I found her. I heard about her. I read about her story. And I said it earlier in the beginning of the show, I needed to meet her. And I needed you to meet her. I wanted you to meet her. I didn't need to, but I wanted you to. Because I just love her candidness. You're really fantastic. So Jennifer could use the support. I, I would assume you're also taking donations as well. We are always in need of donations. We do more than just the cover-ups. Um, oh, yeah, and that's the thing we've not been 100% clear on, and I'll be real clear. What Jennifer does is she has a tattoo artist in Ohio, and I don't know, Jennifer, are you doing this all around over the, the world? Around the world. Okay, so there are, there are tattoo artists you've had, a, you will find, if you don't mm -hmm. have them already, that will agree to cover up brands, tattoos that have been put there by uh, these, these sex traffickers, and when these women are trying to turn their lives around, they don't want to walk around feeling like a piece of meat, feeling like, you know, being reminded constantly of what happened to them. So through this organization, SurvivorsInc.org, Jennifer, you are finding tattoo artists who will take an ugly reminder of the past and turning it into something hopefully beautiful or at least as beautiful as it can be that represents change. Yeah. Absolutely. And breaking those psychological chains of enslavement of those physical reminders and demoralizing marks of violence um, and then allowing them to reclaim their bodies and move beyond what they've been through. Now, I have to ask this, and I told you when before we did the show that, you know, it's called It's a Fair Question. So yeah. I'm going to ask anything. And uh, I think you can handle this. So I'm, a, I'm someone who has a lot. Of, I'm not. But let's say I just have tons of money to give away. And I think you sound amazing and, and, you know, but I go, but then I think to myself, well, I don't know. I mean, she does have four kids. She's, you know, she could relapse. If I give you money or your organization money, how do I know that you're not going to fall off and fall back into an old pattern? Not necessarily sex trafficking, but, you know, drug addiction is in itself something like very hard to overcome. So could you address that? Absolutely. I mean, we are a registered 501c3. I have a, a very highly accredited board of directors, um, not just friends of mine. You know, we're talking about councilmen and presidents of um, little organizations and stuff that are our board of directors. Um, so there's a lot of accountability um, and we don't just do the cover ups. Um, so for anybody out there that does have all that money, <laughs> we do prevention education in public schools to try to prevent the young ones. Um, we've had so many children come forth and talk to us like, hey, this is happening to my friend or my dad is doing this to me. You know, we have been able to step in and intervene with minors, um, you know, where the safe harbor law is not being um, utilized correctly and help get them out of criminalization and into restoration homes um, as minors, which is where there should be um, Anyways, uh, we also do street outreach and, and constantly... And this is around the country, correct? Not just in Ohio. This is around the country, not just in Columbus, correct? We've done the... the um, we do the prevention education and the trainings and speakings um, wherever we are invited to um, and are able to get booked at. Um, but the majority of the stuff we do is here locally. The debrandings and, and the engagements we are invited to are wherever they are. Um, but here locally is where we do our street outreach, where we're getting ready to open our immediate rescue house, which we're hoping to model around the world because um, there is no instant rescue opportunities out there right now um, if somebody does want to get out. Um, so we're trying to bridge those gaps of the lack of resources that are available. And so we're hoping to do that around the world eventually, okay. uh, probably in the next two years. Well, I want to just, uh, we have to, unfortunately, we're going to have to go, but uh, the hour just flew by. And mm -hmm. I just want to thank you so much. You are a beautiful woman and a beautiful human being. And you know, I'm so sorry. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's got, you know, the, the experiences you've gone through, I can't imagine. And uh, the gift that you bring, though, coming out the other end, you know, it is, it can't be really even described. So well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And, and I'm not sorry for any of it. I'm actually grateful because now I get to 
use my story in a very intimate way and hopefully help somebody else from falling victim to or help them get out of a situation. I guarantee, well, you've helped, well, you've already helped me in the understanding of this problem. And I know that you've helped everyone watching and listening. Uh, If you want to get a hold of Jennifer, you can find her at survivorsinc.org. And then also I imagine you're on Twitter. Is that right? Maybe like, not really. I don't really follow, but we are on Facebook. Okay. And that's the same, same thing, survivorsinc.org on Facebook? It's just Survivors Inc. on Facebook. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to run, but I want to thank you again so much. Let's follow up. I'd love to see you in a few years and see how life has evolved. And okay. um, thank you again for just your honesty and, and openness. It was just just perfect. This fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. I got one more thing. Yes. Text the word Inc. I-N-K to 5885. That's Inc. to 58885. And you can get our quarterly newsletter with all our updates and, and what we're doing and everything for all your viewers and listeners or anybody who wants to learn more or whatever. Um, that'd be a good way to get one involved. One more time. What is it? You can text on your phone the word Inc. I-N-K to 58885 and get connected and get involved. Okay. Well, thank you again. I hope this is just the beginning of a conversation for us and that we can continue this in the future. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And good luck with everything. And uh, again, we look forward to staying in touch. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank all of you. We'll see you soon right here. If you haven't, please subscribe on iTunes. See you soon. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question. 